Go ahead, Ray. You! You worthless piece of slime! You ignorant, disgusting clown! Nothing but an unstable short chain molecule! It's the stuff. It's like pure concentrated evil. It's all flowing right to this spot. Material devolution has begun. It is 2017. The return of Material Devolution Podcast is here. <laughs> oh, wow, we took a long time off, ladies and gentlemen. How are you doing, Mr. Walker? I'm doing great, Devin. It's uh, good to, uh, I guess, reboot uh, the Material Devolution Podcast. It kind of feels like it's been, it has been a long time. We were a little spotty last year. Hopefully, we can uh, get a plan and get organized and move forward in an orderly fashion. Now, it's a very conciliatory way of putting it, Matt. We, we were shite, but, uh, you know... We, we can be realistic in our assessment, which lets us know what we got to do to be better. So uh, we talked about maybe getting a little schedule. You can do one a month, get some consistency going. I think the quality will return. So uh, got a goal, got to aim for it. Right. So after now that we've told you that we're disorganized people. <laughs> no, we're not, we're not disorganized. We're, we're not true. We're just very distracted, but, very distracted by life at the exactly, moment. Exactly, exactly. Sometimes it comes You, you more reasonably times. than me. I, I don't have as many reasons, but I'm I sure. I guess. Right, right. So uh, we're going to kick it off this week with uh, a very in-depth research piece done by Matt. Uh, why don't you just dive into it, Matt, and we'll, we'll see where it takes us. Well, I was reading a, uh, an article in GQ magazine. Uh, it's a March edition here. And um, it's called Buried Alive, the Stories from Inside Solitary Confinement. And I found it really interesting because they had these excerpts, these little like sound bites from prisoners who had either been in solitary confinement or were in solitary confinement for quite some time, varying degrees of of years. And uh, so it made me start to think uh, really about the psychological effects of torture, basically. The UN has already said that, you know, long periods of solitary confinement over like 15 days is considered torture. So you're saying like these people are basically being held indefinitely in solitary confinement. It's not like a punishment, uh, you know, for lashing out at somebody, attacking somebody. They're just being held indefinitely for what reasons? No, that's not the case. Um, Actually, what happens is they usually create, uh, these conditions create offenses um, that happen while they're in solitary confinement, which prolong their stay there. But these people are being held for 23 hours a day in, in a box, in this cell behind closed doors with only a little slit to serve food through. Sometimes the food is, uh, they have a short periods of time to eat where they will give them a little bit of food uh, for a while and then they will uh, retract it like five minutes later so they don't know how long they're gonna have to eat the food. So they're being uh, subjected to these kind of torturous um, activities as well by the guards. And, uh, you know, as we were talking before the podcast in regards to the, you know, the Stanford prison pro- uh, experiment, um, you know, it, it's been kind of um, documented that, you know, you have this like pack mentality of behavior that happens with uh, the guards as well. You know, they take on these roles inside these cells, these prisons, these boxes, these cages. Um, and I just had this picture of these people being in these little cubes, you know, kind of buried underground, you know, after I heard buried alive, these little cubes of these little solitary, isolated places where, um, sometimes they don't have television, uh, there it's, 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 uh, 
it's artificial light the whole entire time. Um, they have trouble sleeping, sleep deprivation, and other things because they their their cycle kind of goes goes haywire, right? Your circadian rhythm of life, right? Because you're in this box and you're kind of just kind of like a I don't know, kind of like a baby calf waiting to be slaughtered for veal. <laughs> so, what are some of these arbitrary rules that one might be continually punished for? Because it sounds like you've said they've created a system where they subject you to random forms of inhumane torture, basically treat you like some subservient animal, like you said, waiting to be slaughtered. At the same time, they're holding you to a standard of behavior where one can easily elapse and therefore prolong one's stay to continue to receive this punishment, which is therefore going to encourage it even further. It's very cyclical, it sounds like. I'm interested to know like what the punishments are. You know, like if you like yell at the guards, you know, swear at them, like throw your food, like, you know, or is it like you throw your piss and shit at them, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, well, I think it's, it, it's kind of, I think it's kind of circumstantial. I think that what happens is certain um, conditions and certain environments and, and, and moments. So interactions between the guards and the, and the, and the, and the prisoners are so volatile and so uncertain that I think that things can happen or be created you know what I'm saying altercations with the guards in various forms whether it is throwing piss and shit sometimes that happens but what they're saying is, is that also it's it's because these people break because their the the, mental, yeah, uh, their uh, mental uh, capacity breaks 100% and they start smearing their piss and shit all over the, the, the like I said the cell. before I even asked what the offenses were I, I wanted to preface that by acknowledging like I said that they've already created a system inherently where you subject somebody to torture for long periods of time treat them like an animal waiting to be slandered and then hold them to obscene standards of character behavior but most of the time they get thrown in there you know between things like um, their gang activity um, so they need to be separated right in these supermax you know facilities or they're extremely violent um, a lot of times the the, the inmates are are um, mentally ill prior to, to being sent there so they even shouldn't be in prison a lot of them of course I mean yeah I mean I think there's there's various degrees of, uh, of, of mental um, stability uh, or, and then you know, and does it all match the threshold of being clinically insane, right? To be put into a psychological... Uh, well, in theory, they, there's been multiple studies that have said being, you know, in like a supermax prison will make somebody insane if they weren't. Yeah, and I think that we have evidence that that is the case. I mean, I think that there, there's... There, the problem is, is that after these, uh, this, this Stanford experiment, um, they stopped allowing uh, these type of experiments to be conducted on people because it was considered, they ended this, this experiment in Stanford was supposed to go for two weeks and they ended it in six days. And they ended it in six days because uh, it started to get so out of hand. Yeah, they made movies about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, they said that they were going to stop the experiment. If people want to find out about it, you can easily research it. For sure. I mean, there's been multiple movies. Right. Adrian Brody, one with Forrest Whitaker, is pretty good, I think. I think they made another one, like this year or something, actually called the Stanford Prison Experiment. Exactly. But the basic outlines were, was, you know, two groups of volunteers, you got to make it all the way through the study to get paid. So there's your incentive to like, you know, endure the uncomfortableness of it. They're separated in to prison guards and prisoners. And they're supposed to follow, you know, set a basic structure of what it would be like to be in a prison with them each playing that role. And the prisons, 
uh, guards are instructed essentially to in, do punishments, but to not escalate things to the level of physical punishment. And if they did, in theory, they'll stop the experiment. They're supposed to be watching them. Well, if they escalate to that level and they didn't stop it, and, right. and it continued, and once it got really out of hand, then they didn't stop it entirely. Yeah, they wanted the program. That's kind of the you know they kind of that's thought, the outline. At first, they kind of say that you know they were they didn't think really much would happen. They just wanted to see what happened to these people, right? The, the prisoners, and then all of a sudden, how seriously would they take it? Right, and then the guard, and, and then all of a sudden, like I guess the guards, like you know, started really taking on these roles, and then the other, other people took on these roles to follow, and then they were kind of you know this one-up mentality of each other. Well, like, what the, can we do this time? The movie started using bags, and then they started becoming conditioned to well, seeing this torture, and it was everyday life. So they normalized the torture, like in their minds, and, and but it was a, uh, it was a. What uh, What's the interesting subtext of this movie about? So the whole thing is this incentive, because the only reason the prison guards take it so seriously is you've got people who need to do this job, they're volunteers in the movie, everyone's doing it for money, you know, nobody wants to fucking do an experiment for money, unless <laughs> the experiment's like, hey, you know, do a bunch of fucking blow and hang out with this, you know, rock star and live life on, on a jet for a few weeks, yeah, okay, that experiment sounds okay, maybe I'll try that one, uh, Nobody wants to do these type of experiments. So, you know, these are more desperate people or people who really need the money. And the conditions you set in the experiment are you have to make it to the end of the experiment to be paid. And if you break certain rules, you don't get paid. So, like, the prisoners need to do certain things. They need to come out and, and do, you know, eat breakfast, you know. Even if they're fed gr like gruel, they need to eat their breakfast. You know what I mean? They need to make, do their exercise even if they don't want to. You need to make them. So, like, you set these conditions. Well, now the prison guards have incentive. I don't get paid if this guy doesn't do what he's supposed to do. So now I don't feel as bad mistreating him. So now there's a profit incentive. You've got a survival incentive going on now. You know, it's not just tribalism. It's like tribalism rooted in, cap in this capitalistic incentive. You know, like, you've got a reason to maintain it. There's a reason that prison guard needs to maintain that, like, alpha mentality, superiority complex in solitary confinement. It's a component of his job. If he doesn't maintain it, the prisoners don't respect him, you know, they subjugate him, treat him like crap, that'll obviously get noticed by his superiors, he could lose his job. So you've got to make sure he stays strong, keeps with that group pack mentality, that tribal pack mentality. Right. So there's a very interesting dynamic in play and also in why people would be motivated to behave this way, outside of just being a group. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, well, it starts. It starts to become like this is what I have to do in order to get that end, to reach that end. So I'm going to do it. Uh, and, that, it takes. and that mentality is used against all prisoners because the prisoners in solitary they're individuals at that time. Right. It's not like a prison body against the guards. It's the individual against the guards. Yeah, I mean they do have limited communication, and and to that point, and then you were asking me also about how these people have such recidivism in regard or stay. Not recidivism, but stay actually stay in solitary confinement. Um, but that's a whole other thing. They actually have higher recidivism rates um, after they're released as well. Um, you know, back into the prison system because they can't obviously they can't assimilate or conform to um, you know normal society after living in a box like that for so long. Um, and that's in this article as well. They talk about it, but the, psycho the psychological damage, PTSD. Yeah, and they yeah. just can't they can't assimilate, and they just only that's the life they only know is like that system. So. But here's a here's an interesting uh, here's an interesting little tidbit. This is from uh, it's it's a Zifra 
It's C-Z-I-F-R-A is the name uh, of this person. Um, and it says, you weren't allowed to talk to anyone after lights out. The guard would open your door in the morning. At that point, <clears throat> you would know whether you'd been caught or not. Then he would shoot you in the face with a mace. He'd close the door, let you sizzle for an hour, then come back and take you to, and take you to the shower, and you'd be grateful and everybody would be happy. I was 16. My first stretch in solitary was supposed to be four months, but my program was reset hundreds of times because it would happen every week. That was how I did four years. Because he was talking to somebody after lights out through the drain hole. They used to stand on their toilet and like talk through a drain hole or uh, some kind of hole. And, uh, <laughs> and they wouldn't know till the morning if they were caught and this is what would happen to them. And like he said, I'd be grateful because he just left me mace there for freaking an hour in a hole. And like just to, he could take me to the shower so I could like rinse it off. So I mean there's a lot of interesting dynamics that come into play when you think about treating people in this manner. I think it's easy to say without going into too much depth that you know it's inhumane and it's torture. The question then becomes, is there anybody deserving of this behavior? And how do we feel as a culture and society instituting this as a system of, you know, punishment on people? Because that's what it's become, you know. We have a huge prison population, like 1% of the population, like 3 million people or something, right, Matt? What's that? The prison population is like 3 million people, right? Yeah, it's very large. Um, I actually have the stats here. Do you have the stats on how many people are in solitary at any given moment? Oh, I do, I do. That, that's good stats to know right now, actually. Let's see here. Um, let's see, isolation by the numbers. Uh, there's uh, 6,300 people in, uh, in Texas. Just in Texas? Yeah. So we can easily say there's tens of thousands of people. Yes, easily. Okay. 5,500 in California. Okay, tens of thousands. Mm -hmm. Then there you go. So it's a lot of people. Now the question becomes, like I said, first, I'm interested in your take on this. Is there anybody you think who's like deserving of this type of behavior? Like, is like the worst person, you know, like the serial killer rapist, is that should be their punishment? Like, you know, as opposed to the death penalty, because that's less humane, apparently, than, you know, like torturing somebody for 23 hours a day for the rest of their life. Oh, man. I know, that's a crazy, crazy question, right? You, it is. You, you can take any angle you want on it. We don't have to go full blower on it, but like, that's ultimately what we're doing to these people, saying, okay, we think the worst people and obviously, in a lot of cases, these aren't the worst people, but the worst people should be, you know, forced to endure this behavior, this treatment if they don't confer with the regular rules of, of prison. And it's basically subjugated torture 24 hours a day. Yeah, I, so, I'm in an interesting, I have an interesting viewpoint, I guess. I, the death penalty is a hard one for me because I have a hard time having feeling that one human being has the authority to take the life of another human being under any circumstances, whether it's an agreed upon set of rules in society uh, or a contested set of rules in society uh, that allows that to happen. Um, so that's an interesting, that's an interesting question. I, and, and the, the answer to that is, is that it costs more money to house somebody in solitary confinement than regular prison? Than it does in regular prison. Because you have these cubes of single individuals. You got round the clock monitoring. Round the clock monitoring, yes, yeah, more staff, exactly. So, um, separate facility, you know, you got to go separate way. 
right. specifically yeah. for people. So you got all these things, and and um, and so there's no real economic gain from the taxpayer standpoint because most of these are federal prisons, right? That have these supermax uh, facilities. Yeah, the, the, it's it, for the supermax. It's all federal. So. Um, or any, I mean, you know, most of these, uh, most of these places that use this type of, um, I guess, punishment, you would say. Uh, and so, I don't really see the point um, in doing it. Why, why, why can't we find a different way? Um, spend a little. If we're going to spend a little bit more money, is torturing people the right way? I mean, I think we should uh, obviously look at it um, from a rehabilitation standpoint. Uh, they're obviously acting out. What, like you said, like, what the problem is is that. What about the have... people who are unrehabilitatable? The serial killers, the, 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 you know, the chronic rapists, the, the people who I think we all decided a long time ago have done enough harm in their life where maybe even if they aren't unrehabilitatable based on whatever random standard of psychotherapy you want to reference, they aren't deserving of it. You know what I mean? I, I, is anybody? I it, 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 and, and there it, are people. Because like it's funny. I, I do believe. It's funny. They'll throw us up. Fortunately, that yeah. there are some people that that may be unrehabilitatable. But like even then, like that's where I'm like at my own moralistic and ethical ethical dilemma on it. Like even is that person deserving of this treatment? Is it more humane to just you know put a bullet in their head than to stick them in that situation indefinitely? You know what I mean? Like I don't know. No, I'm not well, saying that, I'm not I'm not even saying there's a right answer well, to this. I'm just interested in, in this question because it's like we have this as a system and we've all kind of just accepted and agreed to it and we're basically systematically torturing tens of thousands of people all the time. Some people who some people might think are deserving, like I said, the rapists and the serial killers, this, that, yada yada, and some people who might just randomly get caught up in the mix and somehow do something wrong and get thrown in there indefinitely, like the sixteen year old kid you talked about. So, you know. It's a wide spectrum, but the fact that it's become institution, you know, we don't even really talk about it from like that moral and ethical standpoint interests me, you know, because I am on both sides of the fence and you bring up the death penalty too. Mm -hmm. I think you are right, like in a sense that no human really has the right to end another human's life. Right. In one regard. On the other hand, it's obscene to not think about the fact that there are people that are unrehabilitatable and dangerous and it's economically unviable to keep them in a torturous state indefinitely. It might even be worse to do that. Right. Hey, you know? so I got those stats. Okay, uh, right before we get to that, final point I wanted to make that. The question is, it's like our ultimate goal, I think, you know, we want to aspire to be able to evolve as a society and a community and civilization where we don't need that form of punishment and punitary culture to right our wrongs and have people who are making these types of mistakes and, you know, gang culture and, and you know, all the obscene excessiveness we've seen with, you know, murder and serial killing and stuff I'd like that. But if we want to aspire to eliminate that, can we do that through the death penalty? Because it feels like by killing other people, we'll always lose something in the process and not be able to reach that aspiration. But if we don't acknowledge that some people are unrehabilitatable, then we'll never be able to figure out what to do with this private prison and solitary confinement and death penalty situation. It's going to just be like an indefinite pep, uh, perpetuity. Right. Well, the thing is, is because one, the death penalty is not a deterrent, right? Oh, <laughs> sorry, y'all. Um, the death, that cough. The death, the death penalty is not a deterrent. Well, at least we're not having those. Uh, yeah, not from the numbers. Able. Not from the numbers. The death penalty isn't. Right. So I mean, not um, not not any longer. It, it actually has for a while because 
the number of murders has gone down consistently. So if it's, not, primarily a, so just if like it's not a deterrent, is it, is it just a cost-saving measure? Uh, I mean, I think it does. But people, keeping people on death row is expensive, right? So it's, that's kind of, and, and I'm not sure of the actual numbers and you know whatnot, mm-hmm. and how many they... How many people? Well, we're so we're a, hey, we're we're a, we're a Christian society, and some versions of the Bible do say an eye for an eye. Some do say turn the other cheek as well. <laughs> but uh, you know, there's a very very long, stead history of people wanting justice and vengeance for you know the death of a loved one. It's very normal. It's something that's gone back very very far in society. You know, and different cultures have dealt with it differently. There are certain societies where if the family of the murdered forgives the murderer, they'll let him go. That's usually in a lot of like crazy, like backwards cultures, like rape cultures, like, uh, you know, like there's an honor killing, but the family of like the person who was honor killed, like they say, they say that they don't blame the killer. They'll let that person go. You know what I mean? Mm. Like in that, in that, like in that case, that's obviously batshit insane. But like that's a, like a different cultural interpretation of like how it should go entirely, based on the punishment. You know, like they're taking completely different things into account. You know, it's not just like a, these are the set laws that are agreed upon, and they're going to be instituted irregardless of you know the variable context of how people feel about it. Mm-hmm. You know, rule of law in this country, which is a good thing for sure. But it just shows you, like, other cultures have a different, unique interpretation of that and how it's being applied. Yeah, 100%. Bring up that stat. Bring up those stats. Yeah, so we're looking at the uh, entire prison population in the United States. It's uh, 2.2 million. It's a fourfold increase uh, since 1973. Uh, one quarter of the world's entire prison population is housed in the United States. About one in every hundred adults. And... Uh, so uh, in solitary, the costs uh, rise to uh, seventy-eight uh, to ninety-three dollars um, over. Oh, so in a maximum units, it's like two hundred sixteen bucks. So for a day, medium security prison fifty-seven dollars, and high security prison sixty-nine dollars for solitary inmates seventy-eight to ninety-three dollars a day, and uh, if it's an administrative maximum unit. Uh, it can be uh, $216 a day per inmate uh, for solitary inmates over a uh, regular inmate. So. Yeah, I mean, it's a brilliant money-making scheme on the, the government's part. I mean, you can like legitimately bill the taxpayer for the cost of housing this person, building a prison in the first place. Then you can pay the prisoner 10 to 20 cents to maybe make license plates all day. And then when he wants a calling card, you can charge them quadruple the actual cost of it and price gouge them by 400% on the 20 cents an hour you're paying them. I mean, the, way, the number of ways these guys have found to make money on, you know, exploiting human misery, it's pretty, pretty, pretty exceptional. You got, you got, you got to level Marvel and level up the, uh, you know, depth of greed and inhumanity going on when you're trying to make money in the system. Yeah, man. I mean, it's, it's absolutely exceptional. I mean, like now you have the prison, you know, the Obama administration was shutting down the uh, for-profit prison system as far as federally, uh, federal is concerned, and now they're opening it back up again. Um, and so now you have like taxpayer money that goes straight to, you know, uh, these large, um, you know, good old boy, basically network prison networks, right? Uh, these corporations, um, 
and uh, yeah, the commissary is jacked up in the price and you know of everything. And then these people don't have. <laughs> and and one of the things that you were talking about, right? These people don't have any outlet other than to act out. There's no other means of protest. Very very limited very forms limited. of like recreation therapy. You know any type of like. They're starting some programs I've heard about, which have great effect. Like yoga in prison is a big one. Mm-hmm. They've started. That's like a big program that's been trending. I mean, like meditation could be a big one. I mean, it's all like it sounds like new age, you know, pussy shit. Yeah, quit being a, a little bitch with your mentality. You know, like there needs to be a new approach to rehabilitating people outside of it torturing them. Or we got to examine why we're doing it in the first place, because it's inherently punitive. You know, it's not obviously prohibited. People are not not doing these acts because they're afraid of going to prison. So it just becomes a punitive punishment. So the question is, like you said, Matt, if they're coming out afterwards, are we just waiting for them to go back in so we can make more money off of them? Or are we actually trying to, like, you know, help them become a better person and figure out why they ended up there in the first place, if that's what that place is supposed to be? No. And it can't, and it can't, it, it can't be one or the other. I mean, it has to be one or the other. It can't be both. You know what I mean? It can't be a place to rehabilitate people and a place to torture people. It's got to be one or the other. It really does. Right. And and that's what they talk about in here. I mean, this guy, he says uh, that they're talking about, and he's like, I went from absolute solitary confinement to complete freedom. When the people, when the parole officer picked me up, I had really nowhere to go. He brought me to a homeless shelter. He goes, go inside there, and if you don't like it, I'll get you a hotel voucher. I went in, and I saw that I didn't want to be there. When I went back outside, I made eye contact, and then he burned rubber and left me there. All I could do was laugh. I mean, so what are you doing with somebody like that? It's tragic, man. I mean, I, I, what do we really need to do? Cut like three to four hundred billion off the military budget. Cut it completely in half. Stop building all new aircraft carriers, nuclear submarines. Close half of our foreign bases that we don't need. Pull back on unneeded fucking weapons programs that we aren't going to use. Eliminate building planes that we aren't going to need. You could easily go through this bulk, which is the biggest form of welfare in this country known to man. It's bigger than Social Security. It's that military budget. Cut that in half. Take that four hundred billion. Put $200 billion in helping the homeless and re- rebuilding the infrastructure and take the other $200 billion and do it into rebuilding and redesigning the prison system, you know? So it's completely restructured and redesigning what it's supposed to do. It's like you rebuild our neighborhoods, you rebuild our infrastructure, you redesign our education system and our, our prison system. I think all our other problems would really like pale in comparison and would just, you'd almost fix it instantaneously. But how are we going to rip away that $400, $500 billion from these people? They'll never let us do it. But that's what we need to do ultimately. Well, I'd like to, I'd like to believe that we are a wise enough culture to understand that we can correct these archaic and broken institutions of, 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 our, that, that, of our lives, right? These, these things, these, these prison systems, like you said, right? Like we have enough people that have enough wisdom and enough knowledge and enough expertise to create something but we need the money and we need the resources to be able to do it it's about and right the, now it's a misappropriation of exactly resources. it's about the money and the resources and the misappropriation is so disgusting right now that we're not able to do what we need to do and it's like if you took a hundred billion dollars you could rebuild the entire infrastructure in the country you took another hundred billion you could rebuild the entire 
uh, education system in the country. You know, you could offer people free community college for a year, everyone, with that type of piggy bank on a, a yearly basis. With another hundred billion, you could easily revamp the prison system. You know, the, the quality of care, the quality of the institutions, the therapists, the whole plan behind it, the whole judicial system itself, where it's literally like a rubber stamp experience with overworked judges looking to just get out of the court as quickly as possible while they hand out years like popping Tic Tacs in their mouth. You know? with the indifference of like how somebody's life and your like momentary inference of what happened should like you know basically determine this person's quality of life for perpetuity so yeah there's a lot we could do man and it's going to start with that so uh you know we really need to just reprioritize where we're putting putting our wealth and i think that'll change ultimately in the future but uh you know right now we're kind of stuck like you said in this never-ending cycle of <laughs> more investment in the same areas which doesn't seem to be helping exactly exactly and, and i want to go back to like what these people are living in real quick I, I i just pulled up another little thing that i was reading and i just really think it's important to drive home to the folks that are listening that you know it, it's i mean it's just that you wouldn't i don't you wouldn't do this i don't think you would do this to your dog <laughs> you know what i mean you know that's what the very first thing i said when we started talking was like you're literally treating people, you know, in like levels worse than you treat an animal waiting to be slaughtered, as you put it, like VO waiting to be slaughtered. Yeah. And so this is from Time in a Cell. It's a, a national survey of administration segregation of prisons, uh, the ASCA alignment 2014 national survey. It says the reports focus on 31,500 31, 5, 31, inmates, male inmates. Many of whom spent at least 23 hours a day in small cells ranging from 45 to 128 square feet. The report built upon an earlier Yale Law School report called the Administration Segregation Degrees of Isolation and Incarceration. And it says that uh, the federal system can find about 7.1% of its 217,000 inmates in solitary units for roughly 23 hours a day. Increasing use of, of confinement had taken place across the entire federal system. From fiscal year 2008 to February 2013, the total inmate population in segregated housing units increased approximately 17% from uh, 10,659 to 12,460 inmates. And during the same time, the total prison increased about 6% during the time, same period. So not only is it is the prison population increasing the the solitary population is increasing by 10% more than that by 10% more than that, the prison population so it's mm -hmm. even higher rates mm -hmm. yep so we're not going we're not moving towards a more humane society and, and a more effective way to deal with these uh, offenders we are actually moving away from it at this point yeah well you have communities that are inherently just generating habitual defenders because of their inherent flaws and basically what is the rate of recidivism is like 60 percent for major felons yeah you know, you extremely you, high hey you've got like uh you know a great, like I said a great a, a great program to make money off of exploiting people because you've already systematically set it up that you're going to have people who don't have the support and structure they need in their lives to be successful, and then you can punish that for that by you know throwing them in a cage and making money off it. 
indefinitely. It's a six six system, man. We gotta work harder at fixing it. Uh, you know, Bernie Sanders. That's why he was a big uh, big voice of that. In uh, you know his unfortunately failed campaign, he had a lot of, a lot of things, and I I really gave him a lot of credit for bringing that up in the discussion because you know no no other candidate was really pushing that narrative uh, in the past year, and so. It'll be good to see who takes up that mantle, you know, like there's always be a big voice for that. It was Bernie for a little. I'm, I'm going to be interested to see who takes over the mantle and leads that, uh, leads that charge. Well, I'll tell you this. I mean, the United States isn't getting any more unified, right? So um, there's going to be a polar opposite to whatever we have at this point. Um, and Bernie was that polar opposite. And that's why he had actually had a, a better chance of winning against Trump than, uh, than Hillary did, right? And because the young, I think the younger generation to be honest with you, is more compassionate, it seems like, than maybe, like, the people that came before us. Um, it's like the young are always stupid because they can't help it. They're young. And, I mean, as a young person, I can admit I was definitely yeah, but stupid. Yeah, it seems like they but, got that right. But is it always like that? Well, I mean, the hippies were the same I, way. I, right? I, was, I was going somewhere with this stuff. All right. Okay, so, like, the young are always stupid. You can't help that just because you're inexperienced, you know, and yet... You have the hubris to think you're experienced and super knowledgeable when you really know nothing about nothing and never will. You learn that later in life. But because of the change in culture and exposure to being around such a diverse group of people, people have inherently become more accepting and compassionate at an earlier age. You know what I mean? That's why older people have tended to be less that way over time. It's because they haven't been exposed to this type of culture of acceptance and inclusivity. Where, you know, even if you disagree with these people, you don't really care, you know, who they're sexually interested in or what they look like or if they really care that much if you call them with a different pronoun. Like the 71 pronouns thing is crazy, but like, you know, if somebody asks you to call him he instead of she, like that might be like annoying to you for a second, but is it really that big a deal? Right. <laughs> in the grand scheme of things? No. Like it just isn't. No, really. Mm -hmm. Not in my life anyway. So like, I think that like culture of inclusivity has changed recently and why younger people always have trended to be more compassionate over time. You know what I mean? They've done polling on this and it shows obviously that, you know, it's very, very left-leaning in all social issues if you look at it on an age, uh, oh, age yeah, diagram. Oh, yeah, for sure. 100%. You know, right. like irregardless of political spectrum. But is it because like you don't have enough, as much to lose at that point? <laughs> so people become like more like, you know, Conservative, you know that old set of financial. I don't know. There's there's that old there's that old saying that makes you want to slap people where they go. You know, if you're not a liberal in your twenties, you don't have a heart. If you're not a conservative in your thirties, you don't have a brain. You heard that one? Yeah. 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 Usually, it's a yeah, older conservative person telling you that. Uh, but I mean, they just try to point out that obviously priorities do change. You know, when you're younger, you don't have a family, you don't have a maybe oh, yeah. established career, a house. You know, all these things that a lot of people envision in their brain as the cliche American dream. That's the narrative they're selling, right? And that's exactly what I was bringing up. I mean, like, yeah. that, that, that's just part of the narrative, though. Yeah, right. So, you know, that's just how they're looking at it. Truly, truly. I don't know how that ties to prisons, y'all, but... I don't know how we got there. <laughs> anyway... I think it's time to wrap up this edition of the uh, Material Devolution Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the journey with us. We certainly enjoyed the topic, even though it was not a the, the, the prettiest and most uh, 
glamorous of all topics. I think it's definitely something that uh, we need to keep in our minds uh, and um, find ways to um, maybe voice our opinions uh, about it uh, to people. Uh, it's the only way that we can change the social consciousness is we share our views with other people. So um, find ways to do that. Uh, and um, like I said, I, I just had that, that vision in my mind of this like honeycomb underground with all these like little men stuck in these little little boxes yeah that's pretty much what it is man you are right. you did an excellent job uh doing some research on this podcast i appreciate you bringing back your a-level reporting game this man had notes he had highlighted notes <laughs> he had printouts he was like fully prepared I, I, I have graphs you should see it i got this like whiteboard yeah i kind of like threw him off like random you know like existential rantings about you know different uh, bigger picture questions about it. But he recovered greatly, got us back on point with those statistics. So I appreciate you keeping us on point there. We're a little scatterbrained because like I said, it's been 10 weeks since our last podcast. Things have been a little crazy. We're gonna be more consistent with that. The quality will come. Uh, We're gonna try to dive more into smaller stories like this. Uh, Matt, you did an excellent job bringing this one in. And you know, I can't help it. I like looking at the bigger picture aspect of it. So I think we're gonna try to avoid you know, thou that shall not be named with, you know, the orange skin and dead raven on his head. And we'll just avoid, you know, talking about that dude and, and try to keep it more about, you know, the people. For sure. It's all about the people. We just, uh, if you have something for us, let us know what we want to Come talk. at us. Come at me, bro. Bring it. <laughs> have a good one. Peace Thanks for listening, everyone.